Hey, have you ever wanted to create your own podcast and share your own light bulb moments with the world? If so, now is the perfect time to do so because audio is the future of the internet and Anchor is a perfect place to do it. So Anchor is a podcasting platform you can find at anchor.fm and it's what we use to create the Lightbulb Moment podcast. So Anchor is amazing because first of all, it's completely free to use. Yep, completely free. And there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. So I've used Anchor to record with other guests on a mobile app, and you can also edit on your computer. And Anchor will distribute your podcast for you across so many platforms. So Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all the other major podcast streaming sites. So you don't have to set up individual accounts and try to distribute to all of those places. And you can also make money from your podcast with no minimum subscribers needed. And it's basically everything you need to record, edit, and publish your podcast in one place all for free. So I highly encourage you to download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Good luck. So you've done all the work and are ready to go to market. Or perhaps you've already launched but aren't seeing the results you want. The difference could be your pricing and go-to-market strategy. Hi there, welcome to IDEP, where we address how you can ideate, decide, and act on the business topics we talk about in each episode and apply them to your own startup. My name is Varika Pinnam. And I'm Ganika Pinnam. We're the founders of IDEP, ideate, decide, act. At IDEP, we connect female founders to investors, one-on-one mentoring, and resources to help grow their business. In today's episode, we have Ed Lee, founder of Hala Advisor, a pricing consultancy company for startups. We'll be discussing figuring out the right pricing methods you can apply, different enterprise and consumer pricing strategies. Great, and um, Ed, we're so happy to have you on the show today and learn more about your company. So do you mind sharing with us your story of founding Hello Advisor and really where the idea came from? Yeah, no, absolutely. And thank you for having me on today. Um, so Hello Advisor really just kind of started with some early conversations with founders and startups um, and some of the pain points they were having in terms of pricing and monetization. Uh, my background is has been in pricing and pricing strategy, primarily for Fortune 500 companies and large industry and corporate organizations. Um, in my past life, I was a director at Global Magic Consulting firm based out of their London office. And um, before that, I was with LG Electronics Europe um, on the go-to-market strategy team. Again, in both instances, working with um, leaders in terms of their pricing and monetization. Um, But pricing repeatedly became a pain point in my conversations with startups and startup founders. Um, And we could not find good solutions um, in the market to support these founders. And so that was really the genesis of how Hello Advisor started. That sounds great. Like, why do you think it's hard for startups to figure out the right price? (laughs) That's a that's a great question. Um, For one, pricing is intimidating. It's intimidating because as founders, we know it's so important to figure out, but also because it feels complex because there's uh, there's the graphs, there's the quantitative side, there are the models, 
And not everyone comes from that from a background where they feel comfortable with working that type of things. But most importantly for founders, it's it's a struggle because we're not used to thinking about solutions in terms of monetary value, in this case, pricing. Um, and so really one of the things that founders really struggle with in terms of understanding pricing is really around pricing goals. In other words, what is pricing really supposed to do for them and what are they trying to achieve with the pricing decisions that they make for their products and their services? Mm-hmm. So, well, about that, what is pricing supposed to do for them? Because, I mean, obviously, <laughs> how do you yeah. set those goals? No, there's there's several types of goals um, for early stage founders to take into account. Um, it could be anything from increase help increase usage, acquire new users, maximize profitability, accelerate revenue traction, defend against competition, and so on and so forth. And pricing is a powerful mechanism for founders to be able to do that. Um, but it's understanding what it is that you want to do with pricing. And this is oftentimes not where most companies start. That makes sense. So um, where, do, where do most companies start? Like when you're working with startups approaching this, kind of just diving in. Yeah. So most companies, and actually this is not even exclusive to startups. The, 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 the place that most companies start is what is the price? They want to know what the number is. Um, and which is a very valid and uh, a very valid uh, question and that they should be asking. The challenge with that is pricing or that number without context um, is really difficult to execute on. And so while most companies start discussion about pricing with what is the number, the broader question is, and probably more relevant question is, who is the customer? What type of value are they driving from your product or services? And what does that actually look like in terms of pricing for those type of customers? Going off of that, because, you know, when we were talking to founders and stuff, and even mm-hmm. ourselves, you know, a lot of companies are like, okay, will the customer respond to this price, right? Will mm-hmm. the market be okay with paying that? Because clearly, like, they should be willing to pay for the product or the service. Yeah. How do you think that pricing affect customer response to your product and, you know, in position with your competition as well? Because a lot of startups right. are trying to figure out, okay, do I price mine yeah. along with my competitors or do <sighs> I do more or less to drive more traffic? Yeah, no, that's a that's a that's a really great question. So first off, just you know, it's clear it's it's important to state that pricing is huge to positioning, whether it's product positioning or competitive positioning, um, because price effectively shapes the conscious and the subconscious perceptions that your customers have, both of your product, but also of your company and your brand. Um, price is not in a vacuum. So it's judged in a combination to the product and the proposition. Um, So I just had a conversation recently with a venture capital investor, and she was talking to me about, well, does pricing really fit with more product function or with a marketing function or sales function? And the answer is really all of the above. Um, Because product, um, because pricing is going to influence um, the, the nature of the product that's being developed, It'll also impact and influence the 
sales and marketing type of positioning and the communication that the company is going to want to do. So really it influences all of these things. Um, and so to understand pricing, um, not just the number, but really what drives the understanding of that number for your customers becomes a true competitive advantage. And you see this um, time and time again, just a few startup examples that are pr pretty mainstream at this point. Uh, you see companies like Warby Parker, for example, while they are more affordable and they could probably go even further down market, they're a great example where they use their price to be positioned in such a way where they are competitively priced, they are still aligned with a perception of quality, and it fits the particular customer segment, especially when they were starting off in the first few years after 2009, where they, they really aligned with the right customer segment that they were going after. The other example would be Allbirds. Allbirds is another company that has not just clear pricing, but they actually have a great deal of price discipline. So for anyone um, who was who is a Allbirds fan or was looking to get an Allbirds pair of Allbirds during Black Friday, they had a very creative little mini campaign that led up to the actual Black Friday um, teasing at something to which a lot of their fans were looking for hopefully a price discount to which because of their pricing strategy, they did not actually offer a discount. Instead, they were launching a special seasonal range of, of shoes. Um, so again, these are just companies that are purposely using pricing, both strategically, but also tactically um, to establish their positioning and shape customer response and protection. Um, you know, Ed, it's such a coincidence that you mentioned Alberts because when you were telling me that, you know, you were going to, you know, list some examples, Alberts was the first thing that came into my mind. Yeah. I mean, they're really nice shoes, but definitely the the price, like, gives a completely different brand perception. And I know they have a mission behind that, too. Mm -hmm. You know, completely targets, like, a different customer segment. So that's really great. I didn't know about their Black Friday campaign, though, but that's really clever. <laughs> that's really yeah. Compromise yeah. their pricing strategy on that. So what are some resources that you would recommend or, you know, outlets that startup founders can go to to gain this understanding of pricing and what are some of the things that they should be studying or keeping tabs on? Right. So, I mean, obviously, they are more than welcome to come to the Hello Advisor website. We have a blog. We also have a newsletter that we send out to our community with our latest findings, research, our thoughts around pricing. Um, that we share. Um, so that's definitely a free and available resource to everyone. Um, but also I would take a look at, um, you know, I, I, again, I, I don't want to pinpoint just one because there's several, but, you know, I would definitely be looking at their venture capital firms and some of their blogs and some of their research that they've done around pricing um, just to start to create some references as well as different approaches and methods. That being said, the biggest, the best resource for your pricing starts with your customers. It starts with your customer and understanding them as deeply as possible. And this sounds very strange because I think there isn't a single founder or company who doesn't believe they know who their customers are. 
and what drives them. But oftentimes that understanding, it, the caveat is that it usually excludes elements of price. And so when you add that into the mix, that customer type, that customer segment, that customer persona, or even more broadly, that market, there may be a misalignment. So again, you know, there's several resources, but it's it's engaging and and really understanding your customers where it'll be your best resource to start when you're thinking about pricing. Definitely. Um, I was actually, as you were saying about value, like I remember this quote I was reading, value is not determined by those who set the price, but it is determined by those who choose to pay it, right? So it's like what your customer perceives your the product uh, you're selling or the service you're selling is worth. And I think some of it might even have to do with marketing, right? Because a lot of people think, okay, uh, why are branded uh, products worth a lot more than non-branded products? Because they spend a lot of effort mm-hmm. trying to make that you know, giving that a different value in their psyche of it. So what are some different types of pricing that you see? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, if we talk about different type of pricing methods, I mean, they're the three most commonly used are cost plus or cost-based pricing, competitor-based pricing, and value-based pricing. And if, you know, and I'd like to just quickly summarize what those three um, actually involve. So the cost-based pr- pricing is exactly as it sounds. It takes your costs and it adds a margin, typically a arbitrarily set margin by the company, and, and they determine their price that way. The second is competitive, competitive-based pricing, where a company will take the pricing of competitors and we'll try to price within a particular range of those competitor pricing. The last one is value-based pricing, where a company will take the perceived value willingness to pay of their customers for their product, and will start to set pricing according to that. Now, in terms of revenue maximization or, the, or creating opportunities for revenue maximization, value-based pricing is by far and away the the greatest method to use. But it's something important to also point out between these three methods is that all of them is grounded on data and information. In the case of cost plus and competitor based, you're depending on other people to tell you what the value of your product is for your product. And that's it's better to use that than no data, but there's nothing better than the data that you'll get from your customers and the value that they have for your product. Now, that being said, when we think about the complexity and the difficulty between the three methods, the value-based pricing is by far and away the most complicated, um, which is why the companies that are truly exceptional in pricing, whether it be Warby Parker, as we talked about earlier, to Netflix and Apple, why they are able to leverage pricing as a competitive advantage and where they're, why they're able to lead um, in pricing for their particular categories is because they're able to leverage value-based pricing above and beyond the other methods. That's great. Thank you for providing those like kind of clear buckets. I think it's a good starting point. Mm-hmm. You can take those three you know, categories that I was just mentioning and kind of dig deeper into that you know, and learn more. 
And, you know, now that you've provided us kind of this like great starting point, what is the best way? Like, let's say I'm looking at these three kind of heuristics here. Mm-hmm. If I was just trying to figure out my pricing strategy, how would I approach that in figuring out which one's best for me? Yeah, um, so this is something that we do with our clients. And so it is starting um, with a internal and external um, assessment and diagnostic. So internally, we start off by understanding what the company is trying to achieve and what's really required to get there. Um, it's really difficult to create a strategy when you don't know what tomorrow is supposed to look like for the company. Um, so an easier way of putting that is trying to understand what kind of company do you want to build? Do you need to have a you know a sense of scale where you have millions, tens of millions, hundred millions of customers or users? Or can you become a massive leader in a particular niche or a segment and dominate there where in the end that may result in only 100,000 or maybe 500,000 customers um, and there's plenty of successful cases that look like that. But we start off by having that internal assessment to un- truly understand where we're trying to get to. Do we understand what the requirements are? And then to start to shape the type of company that we're trying to build. Then the, uh, the other part of it is looking at the external assessment. And so this is where I think, again, I, I've mentioned this a couple of times where I think founders really need to get deep with your customers. What do your customers really value and why are they uniquely positioned to pay for your particular product or service? So this is where we talk about a great deal about value drivers. So unlike other type of marketing research, when we're doing pricing research with our customers, we really want to understand what drives value for that particular product, which equals to or is aligned with a sense of willingness to pay. So, and this really can take a lot of forms. And I think this, when we do this exercise, it really surprises a lot of founders that despite the fact that their customer or their user loves nine out of the 10 features that they offer, the reality is that when they decide to pay or when they when they're at checkout it's really only one or two things that really form their decision in terms of whether to pay so it's understanding what that value is and why that particular customer is willing to pay for that product um, and so this is an insight um, that and capturing that kind of insight is really what differentiates not founders but differentiates companies because when you can understand that and you add on top of that your product development and your marketing and sales, it becomes a huge differentiator. So the other part, especially when we're talking about slightly earlier stage founders is, again, this is something that I think most are working towards and that's product market fit. Um, And one of the things that I've seen, especially with talking to founders, hundreds of founders over the last couple of years, has been that when they think about product market fit, they seem to exclude the business model and therefore the pricing element to that validation of product market fit. So if anyone has ever you know, really looked at the definition of product market fit, it does not exclude the business model. There ha- There's always a component of, is a customer willing to buy or pay something for the product or solution that I'm currently offering. 
And so when they're going out and doing those product-focused type of testing, but excluding the business model and the pricing element, they're losing out on a big, not big insight, but they may be getting a false positive when they are walking away saying, well, 99% of my users love my product. But if you ask that same 99%, are they willing to pay for it? They realize that only 10% are willing to pay, which has very different consequences, but more importantly, very different decision points that you as a founder will be taking as a result of that. I know that at Hello Advisor, you probably work with a lot of startups and a lot of companies. Um, what are some like pricing differences between B2C and B2B? So B2B versus B2C, there's, there's a few kind of s- structural differences when we're talking about pricing. Um, so in terms of B2C, it's far, the sales or the transactions are significantly faster. So, which means that the type of decisions that customers typically have to make um, will require faster type of decisions. So in terms of not just what kind of price points that you're presenting, uh, or price levels, but also how you're packaging your pricing. So for example, what's included in a basic um, a basic package that's offered in Zoom versus a pro package versus a team package and so on and so forth. Um, how we start to design and construct that um, is gonna look significantly different than you're gonna see with a B2B um, customer. The other element and a kind of a big difference um, when we're thinking about pricing between B2C and the B2B is that the value is there's there's a couple of different dimensions. One is a time dimension. And so how quickly do they need to realize benefit um, for a B2C customer, generally speaking, and again, I speak very broadly, but generally speaking, the benefit needs to be experienced far sooner and faster versus a B2B where there's an expectation that the benefit is definitely a bit more over time, but the impact will be potentially quite more significant and deeper within the organization, um, or at least the user base within the B2B type of company. Um, so those are some of the dimensional differences that are, you know, that we find when it comes to B2B and versus B2C. Um, but also understanding like, you know, in terms of, how pricing is actually structured is also um, is, is potentially a little bit more dif- different where B2B is, I won't use the word complex, but with at least our B2B clients, the requirements for their, for their customers are, are at least relatively larger than what you would have with a B2C type of user or end customer. So this includes things that are not directly related to the product and service itself, everything from product management to implementation to after service and so on and so forth. Whereas for B2C, again, it is uh, while there has been greater emphasis on product service and product, uh, or I'm sorry, customer service and customer experience, in terms of the frequency of use, utilizing those value-added services are traditionally far less. So the way that you would 
not only price it, but also package some of these things would also look um, a bit a bit more different. Yeah, that's a great point, Ed. And actually, um, it kind of reminds me, um, I want to tie back to what you said earlier about, you know, mm. founders exclude business model in their product market fit, which was a great point that you made, right? So when you're thinking about like B2B, like the packages you're mentioning, which includes like the customer service and the support, and startups have this kind of like freemium pricing structure, right? Mm. Where for the consumers, it might be very low cost or basically free. And then for the enterprise model, it's like a different price. So how do you kind of measure product market fit in that sense when most of your offering is like free and you don't know if the people are <laughs> free or because it actually is you've achieved product market fit? Right. So um, even in a freemium model and you're trying to establish product market fit or at least measure product market fit, um, ultimately that discussion has to include um, the touch points that, that, um, where you're trying to convert them. So enterprise or B2B. But, if, you know, so, you know, when you're thinking about product market fit, you're trying to see whether or not the pricing and the packaging that you're offering is actually going to convert. And if not, what are the real friction points that are that are preventing the customer from actually purchasing the product? So even in a free instance, the free is is a way to reduce friction for usage more than really a question of product market fit, in my opinion, where freemium is an entry point to which if you achieve product market fit and given the value that the product is designed to deliver, that it should be worth the $9.99 per month or $9,000 per month that your pricing model is built around. And when you are finding that customers are both either resistant or they do not understand why that package for that price makes sense, then we're having challenges and issues with product market fit. That makes sense. Um, yeah. So like when you're, you know, building those packages, cause you know, you also made this point about out of the 10 features, one to two features are really a tipping point, right? Yeah. You know, do you ever come across startups and do you think this is a sound strategy of like testing, like which the addition of which feature make someone convert and so how do you price where you put your extra value add in the next tier yeah no that's it's, again this is where having that discussion with the customer again early on it can be focus groups it can be one-on-one -on -one, you know user tests um but ideally you want that customer research to be far more methodical and more structured but you want to have that conversation where you're trying to get the relative value between feature one versus feature two versus feature 10. Um, and so this is where, you know, simple questions like, you know, which of these, if you were to, if you were to remove one of these features, which one would it be? And if you ask, if you ask a dozen customers or users that question, you'll start to get a sense, directional sense of what type of features or functions those customers are, are really driving their value. So again, those are simple things where a lot of, um, a lot of founders and actually big businesses for that matter, where they want to see the reaction without proactively simply asking the question of what are the what do you what do you need to see um in this particular package or 
at this particular price point or this particular tier? That's a really good question about pricing um, that I think, honestly, everyone could try out because it's kind of hard to just think about just asking, like, to remove a feature from this product that you've worked so hard for. But you have to ask those kind of tough questions to figure out your pricing and really your strategy, right? Yeah. And, you know, quite frankly, I mean, it's really scary. I mean, and I understand for a lot of people doing customer research, asking them these questions and almost setting yourself up to, for a customer or a user to tell you they don't like something. I completely understand that. And but it's it, it's that kind of insight that will help you as a founder to make better decisions. Right. It's if you find out that they really don't care about this particular feature or service, but you add that as a core value proposition and a reason why they should be buying, that's where you're going to start to see a mismatch between price to value or the price to value ratio. Um, and that becomes really challenging for a lot of companies. And I think a lot of startups learn that when they take a product to market without having that type of, not just customer discovery, but also that level of customer engagement. Um, to understand understand that. And that's where they're off to the races. Yeah, definitely. Um, because doing customer discovery, I think cause what you said about it being scary um, is like so mm -hmm. true because it's so much like safer to just kind of put your head down and get to the work, but that's really where you're going to see a lot of results, right? No, I was actually thinking about one story. Like someone reached out to me on LinkedIn and was saying, hey, you know, like test out my product and let me know, like, you know, give me some feedback and stuff. And one of the first things that I've noticed was their pricing system, right? Because um, I think they put like, it was one of the third tier or something was really up high in value, but they didn't clarify as to that it was charged monthly or yearly or something. Mm. And I was talking to them about that. And immediately, like, even though I was not paying for it, like that sort of like, I immediately I was like, oh, this is a lot. Like, what is what are they offering for this? You know, mm. and he changed it to a, a different pricing system. But again, like he kept on, he was telling me that he kept on changing it, the price, the, the only the pricing system over and over again because he he couldn't find luck with one that just clicked right with everybody that he was talking to. Right. And no, I was no, I was just gonna say, I was just gonna add to that. I mean, um, you find that there's a lot of trial and error and you know, hopefully that if you try enough things that you'll be able to land on what works. But the easiest way to sell and to convert is if you give the right customer the right product at the right price. Right. That's the that's that's the ideal um that that's the that is where the equilibrium lies. Um but when you don't know who exactly and where customer discovery and pricing kind of come together is when you don't know who the customer is, what they care about, what they need, how they view your product. And, and I think you make a great point. It could just simply be understanding, is this annual or monthly? That moment of confusion could be enough of a tipping point for some users or customers to simply say, I don't have the mind space to figure this out and to walk away, right? It's those simple things um, that um, that founders can certainly be thinking about and looking into when they're thinking about that customer discovery element to it. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, like that mental space, like you confuse, you lose. Like that's what I've been reading. Lately. You confuse, yeah. you lose. <laughs> <laughs> it's because we're like that. 
And you know, Gringa, you made a great point, right? Because it just goes to show that you don't even like if you're an early startup with even you don't have that huge customer base, you can even get feedback from people who are not actually your customers. Absolutely. I mean again, I mean there's there's an important point that I, I that I should probably should have mentioned earlier. I mean, another another element when Founders think about pricing, and I mentioned earlier that they think about pricing in terms of setting the price. It's oftentimes a very one and done. So once they feel that they have a price, they feel they're done with pricing and they move on to something else without recognizing as well that pricing is a perpetual motion. It is ongoing. And so that and that has implications for startups in several different ways. One as the product evolves, as it gets more complex, as there's more features or functions that are added, those all have implications, not only to the value that it delivers to the customer or the user, but also in terms of how you, how you can or should be pricing the product. The other way is also as your company grows and as your customer base starts to expand, become certainly more diverse, um, again, what are the implications in terms of how you're going to price? So again, it's it's important for founders when they're thinking about how they're pricing and how they're approaching their pricing, which is why we definitely recommend to start to have a to have more structure, to have more method um, in terms of how you're going to make and form better decisions and inform better decisions as you progress. Um, so again, this is why we're looking for direction early on. Um, we're not looking for absolutes because the absolute today will probably change in three months, six months, six years. So it's just helping to understand and get into that mind space and that, and that mindset of understanding that this is going to change. So you're going to do trial and error today. Imagine trying to do trial and error when you have a thousand customers or a hundred thousand customers. It becomes a far trickier proposition. It has far more material impact and implications to your business. That's a great point. Um, thinking about pricing as like not like a strict like number, but as a compass, as a strategy, yeah, fluid and agile, and especially it's super relevant to like you know these times as you were saying, things can change in three months, you know, three years, six years. Um, <laughs> have like the direction right no that, um, and, and that, that's a complete that, and uh, that's a great example like what happened um when we had covid and we started to have the safer at home or shelter in place you know um across the world and um what do we do in terms of pricing it's not just a, in this case it's not even just price point um you know whether you're going to offer a promotion whether you're going to offer a discount how much you're going to offer who you're going to offer it to these are all questions that um, that a lot of companies, big and small, um, were were forced to answer during COVID. And so, again, this is where we kind of go back to understand, you know, what not only have we gotten to an answer or to a decision point, but what's the pathway for us to get there and to get there again and again and again as the market and shifts and changes and evolves. For sure. So it really comes down to, you know, which direction you want to point your company in. Because, um, yeah. you know, you work with a lot of startups and we talk a lot about today yeah. getting to know your customer and stuff. So what has been like the most unique, best example that you've seen of a company that <laughs> just amidst everything and yeah. you know, came out with a pricing strategy out of their research? 
So the couple of examples that I can think of that uh, maybe not startup specific, but um, you know, just in terms of complicated pricing or more unique in the fact that it's very, very complex is how health insurance companies price their different plans. It's, and again, um, it, it, is, it, it has been an evolution, but anyone who has health insurance or have tried to understand their health insurance and what's included, not included, again, while it, it looks like it's just an insurance plan, effectively, it is a package that has been priced. Um, and so it's very, very complicated. Um, and it's still one that I, I still struggle with to understand, which is why there's been an opening for different um, health providers, both in terms of insurance, but also in terms of um, in, in terms of end user um, treatment that has sprouted up over the last several years um, to kind of circumvent the complexities of people just even using their health insurance plans, even if they have it. Um, another kind of <clears throat> somewhat unique, and again, it's not really to startups, but it's certainly um, that I find to be still to this day <clears throat> exceptional is the way that Netflix prices. And I <laughs> use Netflix um, for a couple of different reasons. One, they definitely tie their pricing to willingness to pay. They're, as a company, even at their size and scale, they're still willing to try new pricing models and they have been, they constantly tested in different markets um, to see what would work better um, for their business. And the last thing is they're not afraid to change prices. So if they discover there is um, reason to update their pricing, if they find ways that they can effectively do that, they're not afraid to change their pricing. In their, in their case, it only goes one way and it only goes up. So if you've been a Netflix customer for at least the last five to six years, you have probably experienced at least a 50 to 60% price increase on average um, if, you've been a, if you're a paying Netflix customer, right? And again, these are things, and the reason why I bring up Netflix as an example, even though they're now a very, very large and successful company is that this has been part of their DNA since day one. It's been part of their DNA in terms of not only how to price, how to execute price, how to maintain price discipline as a company over time. And they did this before when they were not a market leader. They did this when there was a clear incumbent in the market. Um, and so they were very, very quick to use pricing um, very strategically and tactically. And I think this is an example that a lot of founders and startups in particular uh, can be a great use case for them to ask themselves that even if somebody gave them the silver bullet price, what other challenges would there be to realize the benefit of all the hard work that they did to try to discover the right customers and the right pricing? And Netflix is a great example of that because quite frankly, companies big and small, it's really hard for a lot of companies um, to do what Netflix does. Like I said, they've been doing it from day one. This is not, they didn't discover this price discipline after they became a billion dollar company. They did it when they were still a new entrant. Um, and, and even in their instance, when they had this shift, um, had a pivot in their, in their product when they went from the DVDs and DVD rentals to streaming. And they still maintained um, that, that level of price 
discipline and that strategic thinking when it comes to pricing. So it's definitely a great use case, I think, for a lot of companies to learn from. Definitely. Um, I love that you said Netflix because we're all very familiar with that nowadays. <laughs> and and I, I have seen their pricing change over years because I had it for such a long time. And yeah. every year, like, they would send an email and it's like a dollar more. And I'm like, oh, that's not a big deal. I love Netflix. You know, it's just, you know, <laughs> it, um, add up all the years. Yeah, and I was actually reading about their founding story. It's really interesting. Um, I think it was a lean startup that I was reading it. So if anyone listening wants to read, you know, they had like, they pivoted a lot from the beginning and, you know, mm-hmm. Blockbuster mm-hmm. laughed them away, basically. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's a huge success story now, um, which is awesome. And um, Ed, thank you for sharing those examples. And even the health insurance example was really great because definitely, like, you cannot decipher a health insurance package at all. You know, but yeah. a lot of tech startups now are trying to change that for the end consumer, like you were saying. Yeah. Kind of transform healthcare so that the end consumer has more power over it. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, I mean, the thing that, I mean, the other kind of element to that is, you know, the real value add and perhaps even the willingness to pay for alternatives to some of the more <clears throat> traditional health insurance providers is precisely why there's willingness to pay for a segment where they don't really need all of these other things or they need to understand it in a certain way. Um, and it has nothing to do with the actual delivery of services. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, again, this is an insight that a lot of good companies are able to extract um, and really um, really leverage when they are thinking about the product and how they're going to market with their pricing and their packaging. For sure. Um, thank you for sharing all that. And we learned actually so much from you today. <laughs> you know, IDA, like it stands for Ideate, Decide, Act. So our goal is to help founders, you know, do that on their own startups. So today we talked about a major key takeaway for anyone should be like, go to customer discovery, sit down with your users or potential users and talk to them about this if you're trying to figure it out, right? Um, and, you know, what other tactics would you say that founders can apply right now, you know, other than just going and talking directly to the customer um, to improve their pricing strategy? So in addition to talking to the customer, but I, I have to be honest, I mean, that is a huge part where I think, I mean, the fact that you've probably talked to a number of founders just about customer discovery um, is, is, you know, is suggestive that it's, it's still something that um, a lot of founders are still trying to understand on how to do that and do that effectively. Um, so part of it is talking to customers, understanding um, not only who their customers are, but thinking about customers in terms of different levels of willingness to pay and different type of value segments, right? So we, when we think about customer discovery, we think about things such as age or gender or geography or, or those type of identifiers. But it's also taking that and ask themselves, well, is there a particular segment within customer discovery where there might be a different willingness to pay? And if so, then the other part of it is then what's really driving it? And start to ask myself and ask, you know, um, and ask, ask my customers that question in terms of what's really driving that value. The other part of it, and I think, you know, really kind of where to start and uh, is thinking about really their pricing strategy. Um, we touched upon it briefly earlier, and it's, it's a question that I think more companies surprisingly than not have not thought through in terms of what their pricing objectives and goals actually are. 
So when they're trying to, you know, when they come and say, well, should we do a freemium versus a traditional SaaS or should we just sell transactionally? The question is, it depends. And it's not just a consultancy answer, but it's really, it depends on what you're trying to achieve. In other words, what is a win? What does success start to look like? Because there's going to be different things that the company will have to do to then support that pricing strategy, which then is where we're bringing in our sales, bringing in our marketing efforts, and so on. And so that part is, you know, you know, as simple as it may sound for, um, you know, for some, it is actually a lot more um, intensive work intensive, but it can pay off in dividends because it can have true implications in terms of what kind of pricing models you end up using. It can also have a different look and feel in terms of what kind of trajectory that you're going to start to set out for your company. And then finally, in terms of resources, whether it be hiring or capital, it can have different implications there as well. So it's very, really important that, uh, that I, you know, that founders are really thinking about the strategy behind their pricing to help kind of lead the discussion and shape the discussion that they're having with the customer, their market, and their team. Yeah, like key takeaways, do customer discovery, you know, split up your segments based on not just, you know, age and stuff, but what price they're willing to pay and back into your price by setting those goals first. So I think those are really great tips and thank you for sharing them and for joining us on the show today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. And uh, listeners, you know, if you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe and share with a fellow entrepreneur. We learned some great tips today and we want to continue sharing those um, with our podcast. So be sure to subscribe. And thank you for listening to Ida. And you can find us at thinkida.com. Until next time, ideate, decide, act.